Um, for those of you who don't know, my name is Bob Menser, and I'm one of the teaching elders here at Word of Grace Fellowship. And uh, as always, we are thankful that you are here. Um, and I believe that the Lord has some things he wants to uh, enlighten our eyes to today. Um, by way of, I always do a brief review, but by way of review, and I have been using Jeremiah 6.16, uh, which reads, Thus says the Lord, stand by the ways and see and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and you shall find rest for your souls. God has ways and that's what we have been emphasizing this entire year is looking at the ways of God. And one of the things that I have been speaking about is that God has both a, uh, a vertical axis in which he draws us into a relationship with him. And he also has a horizontal uh, axis in which he draws us into relationships with one another. And the first message was entitled, Behold Your God. Uh, and the foundation here is uh, from Jeremiah 31, 33, 34. I will put my law within them, says God, and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. God's desire is to have a people that have an individual relationship with him, that they walk with him, they learn his ways, and that they love him as he loves them. And that is, in my estimation, is a vertical relationship. Um, and it's one that we are called to. Uh, but he also has said in a second message that I entitled, A New Household, he did something entirely different. See, with Abraham, he set a people out aside who were Jews. But in this new time, this new era, he has said, I will, and also I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Now, I don't want to get into this rock, but God is about building a church, a horizontal relationship. Uh, it is a uh, a life that uh, brings a variety of people together. I mean, you have to think about this. Uh, if you had a Jewish mind, and for the first five years after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ, it was just to the Jews. And it wasn't until the Gentiles brought in, and everybody said, whoa, the Gentiles are being brought in. And he didn't stop there. And I pointed out last week from Acts 13 that he brought in a variety of people. He brought in uh, Barnabas. And, and Barnabas, who was a rather rich man, uh, uh, so we see uh, a, a rich uh, folks entering into this, um, uh, this new church. Uh, we have Simeon, uh, who was a black man. Um, we have uh, um, a gentleman from uh, the uh, who had been in exile. He had once lived in Rome and then was 
torn out of Rome uh, because of Nero, and he ended up uh, uh, in northern Africa. And suddenly he's back in Antioch uh, as, as a leader. We also have, we have a Pharisee there, and we have a, a guy who has connections to Herod. He's some sense of royalty, some sort of official. And so we get this idea that this church that God's building is going to have horizontal tasks, but it's going to be such a diversity that we need to prepare for it. Uh, and God has said, in this horizontal place, there's going to be something different about this people. They are going to love one another. They're going to be devoted to one another. They're going to encourage one another. They'll be cheerful givers. They'll bear with one another. They'll be filled with good works. They will humble themselves, esteeming others greater. And their leaders will not be leaders as, as, as you see them uh, in the world, but their leaders will be servants. And so we have this new horizontal relationship that's being built that uh, God has said, this is my church, and this is what I will help them develop and build. And so uh, a lot of times we have this idea that it's just me and God, just me and God. And God has said, no, I put you in a church for a purpose. Um, so our title for today's message is Working Together. Well, We're Americans. Americans. Americans, you know what Americans like. Americans are individual. They're rugged. It's my way or the highway. And that's such, it's inbred in us, in our culture, that we have this idea of, uh, of an individual moving forward, cutting waves. We have Rockefeller, we have Mellon, we have the wealthy who have made it on their own. And God has said, I'm not, that's not what my church is about. It is not about individualism. It is about a working together. So from 1 Corinthians, he reminds us now that you are Christ's body and individual members of it. And so here we have two looks at this. You are an individual member. I, that's certainly important. But you're also a member of this body. And God has set up certain little portions of churches, bodies throughout this entire world. And what's important for us to understand is that we are not here to do it with just him, it requires us working together. It requires us to walk together. Uh, if you take a quick, quick look at scripture, you have to watch those pronouns. Uh, we, you, our, my, me, us. Listen, right here, let me give you a list. In Luke, we're talked about our Savior, Philippians, our Lord. In 2 Peter, to those who are aliens uh, and who have the same faith as ours. There, you get this idea that it's collective. He has caused us. He has qualified us. He has rescued us. He has forgiven us. He has given us decrees. It is an us, not a me. Now, bear with me. 
I'm nothing to back. This is one of those things that I just made up. So uh, I, these are my crazy thoughts, and you may take uh, legitimate argument with me. But I think that the Christian, the, the church, oftentimes in this time, in this day and age, is in crisis because there is this attitude that it's just me and God. You do what you want to do, you do what I want, but it's just me and God. And I think that is such an underlying lie as to what God had intended this horizontal relationship to be about. I think, I think the church has got stillborn children. And stillborn children, uh, and I, I belong to an organization, a volunteer organization, in which they have a, a yearly conference. And in that yearly conference, there is one of those sessions where they ask, who would like to dedicate their lives to Christ? And we have hands go up and people fill out a little piece of paper that says, I've given my life to Christ. And that's it. What happens to them the day after? Is there any communication with them? Or did they just do that and then we let them die? And it's important for us as a community to be able to say, I want to encourage one another as we grow in Christ. Um, a barcode gospel. I mean, I made all this stuff up, okay? But a barcode gospel is, we just want to want it to be a quick thing. This is the gospel. Just like we're going through the checkout at the grocery store. And it, it, is, it is a time-consuming. It, uh, it is a walk that, that brings you into relationship, not only with him, but with one another. Uh, I, think, I think televangelists and radio ministries and sometimes even the Internet develop an isolation. They develop an isolation. They say, well... You don't really have to go to church. You can get everything you need right at home. And that is so, so opposed to what God has said that the church is to be. It is to be a group of believers who are light in a dark place, who love one another, encourage one another, build one another up. That's our function. Uh, we're not trying to achieve spiritual enlightenment. We're trying to be the church. And we don't look at the church. We sh I think sometimes people look at the church as an institution. It's not to be an institution. There are lots of institutions out there. It's to be a living, breathing entity in which people say, wow, you people love one another. You people encourage one another. That's not what the world does. So... So the church, I think, is in some ways crisis. Um, now, when Kennedy, J. John Fitzgerald Kennedy, gave his uh, inauguration speech in 1960, um, I had to read about that. Uh, that's, that's, my wife says, don't use <laughs> sarcasm. OK, all right, I was alive, OK? Um, but one of the statements that he made, which is has become very famous is ask not what your country can do for you, rather ask what you can do for your country. And people were taken back by that. And out of that came several movements, uh, a lot of youth movements and trying to help uh, uh, 
develop uh, relationships in the, in the poverty-stricken uh, parts of our country. But let me, let me ask you this. Ask not what your church can do for you. Rather, ask what you can do for the church. Thank you, brother. <laughs> Donovan preached my sermon last week. I told him that. Okay, and I said, you preached my whole sermon. What am I going to do? I'll just have to make up something new. No, I didn't. Because I thought it's a great reinforcement. And I'm going to touch a little bit on this. This means you. As to those who have been chosen of God and holy and beloved, put on. Here's some things you need to put on. Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so you should. That's you. That's your, that's, this is what Christ is developing in this horizontal relationship. One with another. That we are to be people of humility. We are to be people who are gentle. We are to be people who forgive. And that's within the body of Christ. Uh-oh. I, I, this is sort of a, this is a rabbit hole. Um, I didn't know whether to talk about it or not, but when we think of the Old Testament, we think of the law. And there are 613 laws in the Old Testament. And they deal with sacrifice, civil law, criminal law, purification, and time. Those are the categories. And we say, oh, this is the age of grace. We don't have to pay any attention to those. And I you wouldn't get necessarily an argument from me. But what about the New Testament? Well, I want to tell you about Finistake. Finistake. He wrote, uh, he did a commentary on a Bible. Um, it's called the Dake Bible. Uh, and basically it's a study Bible. And in the early 80s, um, you couldn't go on the internet to get one of these Bibles. Um, and the local Bible store didn't necessarily carry it. And I really wanted one of those for Christmas. And I was sort of moping around, and my wife said, well, you never know. Well, I don't know how she did it. But she calls Finnis Dake, pretty famous guy at the time. And his wife answers the phone, and she explains what she wants. And his wife said, Finnis, it's for you, the phone. So. My wife says, would you? Do you have a Bible that you could send them and so forth? And so I got a Bible, a Finnis Dake Bible for Christmas. And Finnis has taken the time to look at the New Testament, and he believes, and I wouldn't like to call them laws, but he believes there are 1,050 different admonitions in the New Testament for us to follow. Now you thought 613 was a lot, but I will give you a brief breakdown, uh, and this is not all of them, but there are 74 B's, there are 30 B-nots, there are 14 bewares, 10 do's, 10 do-nots, 14 holds, uh, and to give you an idea of what they're talking about, it says hold fast to the good. 
Well, is that a law? Is that a commandment? Is that an encouragement? Hold on to a good conscience. Hold on to hope. Or how about bees? Be glad. Be wise. Be thankful. Or be nots. Be not troubled. Be not afraid of man. Be not overcome by evil. Or let's. Let your light shine. Let him share. Let him take up his cross. And so there are these encouragements within our New Testament that says this is how New Testament Christians should walk. So let's talk a little bit about real body life. In the scriptures, there are 60 plus, and I didn't know whether, I, I started to double count, and I thought, I'm just, uh-oh, I better stop. So I just went 60 plus one another's in the epistles. One another, be members of one another, be devoted to one another, honor one another, be of the same mind of one another, love one another, etc., etc., etc. And And you can't help but think about this is a collective community that it's talking about. Let us to one another. Now, I hope this is not revolutionizing your idea of church. Because if we look in the Old Testament, or not the Old Testament, the, the New Testament in the book of Acts, there is such a collective coming together. And I think part of that was that they were under... They are under such threat that their lives could be taken from them. They could be imprisoned. And so they, there was this community that was strongly built. And that's the same community that we, in today's age, should be building with one another. And I appreciated some of the things that Sam said. Confess your sins to each other. If you need to encourage one another, encourage one another. Submit to one another. Bear one another's burdens. These are all admonitions of that 1,050 that we find. So I sort of broke them down just to get through uh, an idea of some of these are physical acts that we are told to be in, in connection with. Uh, pretty simple. Greet one another. Did you greet everybody in here? Are you a one another? And if we would start, if there would be this great upheaval of people greeting one another when it was time for whoever the speaker is, I would say, whoa, let them greet one another, everybody. Because that's what we're told to do. Uh, Corinthians, what do we have there? So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. And it's basically, it's a talking about communion. Well, actually, we're going to have communion together, and we're going to wait for one another. Um, be kind to one another. Uh, show the same care for one another. Serve one another. These are all physical acts. Be hospitable to one another. Uh, have fellowship with one another. Accept one another. Be devoted to one another. All physical acts that we can and should be actively pursuing as we let the church be the church. There are also verbal acts. Therefore, comfort one another, pray for one another, confess your sins to one another, encourage one another, 
be able to admonish one another and build one another up. That admonish one another. Ooh, who put that in the Bible? I don't know. I think God did. Um, or some of these are acts of the heart. And acts of the heart include but give preference to one another. Uh, be of the same mind toward one another. You know, that's an interesting, in this day and age that we live in, there's such diversity, uh, a political diversity. Uh, and it's basically saying, learn how to accept one another and have the same mind. We are in Christ. That needs to be the same mind. Bear one another's burdens. Regard one another as more important than yourself. <laughs> I don't know about that one. I mean, I'm the most important person in the world, right? No. But do I have an ego that says I'm? Or do I have this attitude? Regard one another as more important. And forgive each other. All heart acts. So from 1 Corinthians, but God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, that there should be no division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all members rejoice with it. Whew. If we could just do that. If we could just do that, show the same care. Doesn't matter whether you, where you're from, or who you are. If we could just have that same care. So Ephesians reminds us that you are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit, and we need to learn to work together. It's not just you and God, although that's very important, and I'll talk about that a little bit later on today. But there needs to be a horizontal relationship. When God called Abraham out, he said, I I'm going to make you, I'm going to make you a people. And then we have the Jews, and we read about them failing and failing and failing and failing. And God says, okay, I had a plan right from the beginning and I'm going to bring all peoples in. And they're going to come in through the one Messiah. And this new people, this new creation, you hear that word before, new creation, is going to be entirely different. They're not going to be like those who devour one another and those who envy one another and those who hate one another. But they are going to be a people who built together. Well, you wouldn't expect me to be up here if I didn't have a little history for you. So, what's this got to me to do with me? History. Well, Romans 15, 4 says, for whatever was written in earlier times was written for our, that's a plural there, that's our, all of us, instruction, that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So we are 
encouraged to look back into what was written for us that we might learn from it and there might be some instruction for us. So I'm going to start in 586 B.C. And in 586 B.C., uh, ooh, I shouldn't have started here. Uh, 586 B.C., it is the fall of the southern tribe Judah and Benjamin. The northern tribes, the ten northern tribes, had fallen in 722 to the Babylonian Empire. In 586, Jerusalem is overrun by Nebuchadnezzar, and the building is destroyed, the temple is destroyed, and all of the gold and all of the implements that are in the temple become part of Nebuchadnezzar's treasury. So 2 Chronicles in 36 tells us, and those who had escaped from the sword he carried away to Babylon and they were servants to him, that is Nebuchadnezzar, they became exiled uh, and his sons until the rule of the kingdom of Persia. Following, and, uh, following the Nebuchadnezzar Babylonian Empire, the Persian Empire begins to emerge and actually destroys the uh, Babylonian Empire. And this was all to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 25, Jeremiah 29. Talk about 70 years they will be in captivity. So when Jerusalem falls and they are carried away, it's going to be 70 years that they will be in exile. Uh, until the land enjoyed its Sabbath, all the days of desolation, it kept Sabbath until 70 years were complete. Well, I talked about Cyrus the Great, the king of Persia. He comes into um, rule in 539. And actually the Persian Empire is going to rule for the next 400 years in the Middle East area. Second Chronicles says now, and wants to talk about Cyrus. Now, the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he sent a proclamation through his kingdom and also put it in writing saying, Thus says King Cyrus, or Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever there is among all his people, may the Lord his God be with him and let him go up. And he makes this decree. If you are in exile you may return now to Jerusalem. You may return to Judah. And so we will learn from Ezra, then the heads of the fathers and the households of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites arose, even everyone whose spirit God stirred to go up and rebuild the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. So God started to stir people to return to Jerusalem to build the temple. And all those uh, among them encouraged them with articles of silver and gold, with goods, with cattle, with var var <clears throat> valuables aside uh, from all that was given as a freewill offering. Also, King Cyrus brought out the articles of the house of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and put, it in, uh, and put in the house of his gods. And so Cyrus, great King Cyrus, says, return to Jerusalem, build the temple, 
and here are all the artifacts that have been stolen. Which finally gets us where I need to be. Nehemiah. Now, if you haven't read Nehemiah in a while, it's a great story. There's protagonist, there's antagonist, there's uh, suspense, there's conflict, there's tension. Um, there are even subplots. But most importantly, there's application. And that's what we'll be looking at. Remember what the title is? Working together. And so last week, I talked about tearing down walls. This week, we're going to talk about building walls. So in four, or 464 B.C., Artaxerxes I is king of Persia. Cyrus has died. There have been two others in between there. And one of the exiles, his name is Nehemiah. And I'm going through these 13 or 14 chapters of Nehemiah pretty quickly to get the point across, okay? Uh, Nehemiah is a cupbearer. And that's a pretty important position. Because in those days, if you wanted to get rid of the king, a little poison in the wine, and that was the end of the king. So the cupbearer was a trusted person that knew that when he got the wine out for the king and the queen to drink, it was not going to be polluted with poison. So it was a trusted position. It also, uh, in some cases, not in all cases, but in some cases, the cupbearer had to uh, taste it first. What, what? Poor guy. Uh, so, uh, yeah, this is good stuff. Okay. And then he gives it to the king. Anyway, so... Artaxerxes is the king, and he notices that Nehemiah has gotten some news. And Nehemiah has learned that while the temple has been built and restored, the walls around Jerusalem are still burned down, torn down, destroyed. And Nehemiah is really taken back by this. He's touched, and he said, I don't know what to do. And so he approaches the king, and the king notices that he's sad, and you're never sad in front of the king. You just are not. You put on your happy face when you're with the king, okay? But Nehemiah has already violated one of the rules. He's sad, and the king says, why are you so sad, Nehemiah? And Nehemiah says, well, I've just learned that my people in Jerusalem, the walls are torn down. Uh, they're, they're, it, it could be... Uh, really bad because who knows what would happen. Uh, they've just gotten done rebuilding the temple. Uh, and uh, Artaxerxes says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to send you, if you're willing to go, back and you can oversee the rebuilding of the walls. And as a matter of fact, more than that, I'm going to give you letters of passage I'm going to give you letters to gather all of the materials that you will need when you go back. And so Nehemiah begins that process, and we read in uh, 2.17, when he returns and comes into Jerusalem, uh, and he sees it's all torn down, and he said, then I said to them, that's the people who are there, 
you see the bad situation we are in. That Jerusalem is desolate and its gates burned by fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them how the hand of my God had been favorable to me and also about the king's words which he had spoken to me. And they said, hey, let's rise and build. Let's do this together. Let's do this together. Well, we are told who was there and who was doing all of it. The high priest, the priest, the goldsmiths, the perfumers, the officials, the men of the valley. Those were people who were probably farmers outside of Jerusalem. Sons and daughters, temple servants, Nehemiah's servants, merchants. They also had auto mechanics and carpenters and salesmen and teachers and tech geeks. You get the idea. It was everybody. It wasn't just, well, we're going to take only those who know how to build. Nehemiah said, we are going to, who's in? And everybody said, we're in. We're in for this. And so the goldsmiths and the perfumers and the merchants, they all suddenly had a task in building the wall. Well, here comes our antagonist. And there are a couple of guys, Sanballat and Tobiah. And for whatever reason, they are really opposed to this wall building, this work. Uh, and it came about when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repair of the walls of Jerusalem were on and that the breaches began to be closed, they were very angry. And so they opposed the building of the wall. And so the people, so Nehemiah says, and I answered them and said to them, the God of heaven will give us success. Therefore, we his servants will rise and build. But he said to Tobiah and uh, Sanballat, you have no portion, right, or memorial in Jerusalem. Don't, you get no part of this. This is us building this together. Those who are outside our community are not going to be partakers of this rebuilding. And so Nehemiah assigned everybody a portion of the wall. Now the wall is two and a half miles around. It is 40 feet high and it is eight feet thick. And he took the people, uh, uh, the Tower of the Hundred, the Old Gate, uh, the Valley Gate, and he said, because you live close to this, this is going to be your portion to build. And so, you know, if we translate that, if you're here and you want to participate with Kids Grace or Grace Kids, how about that? Or you want to be in part of the media? You can do that. Or if you want to be in the hospitality program, or you want to be a greeter, we're all going to do this together. Amen. You get an A. <laughs> so this is sort of what I did. my wife said, why did you put that in there? I said, I, I thought it was neat. Uh, but this is what the wall of Jerusalem, this is what they were building. They were building this wall around there, and that's what it basically looked. It's two and a half miles around there. Well, Sanballat and Tobiah, 
are not content. And they begin mocking the building. Not only do they mock it, then they begin to say, we are going to accumulate a war tribe and come in and kill you all for building this. Um, uh, they tried to instill rebellion. They even hired a prophet to come in and prophesy against the building of the wall. And most importantly, they take Nehemiah and they say, hey, Nehemiah, let's have a meeting. And Nehemiah gets the idea that this is not going to be a meeting. It's going to be a for him. And they do it. And he says, nope, I can't meet with you guys. And they do this. Uh, the scripture tells us they do it five times before they finally can't get Nehemiah to, to, to do him in. Um, but he says, when I saw their fear, the people, because of all this thing that's going on, I rose and spoke to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember, the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers and your sons and your daughters and your wives and your houses. See, as we build together, there will be opposition. If we're really building the church, this horizontal relationship, there is going to be opposition. There's going to be opposition from people who say, yeah, right. And there's going to be opposition from spiritual. There's going to be spiritual opposition. Because the enemy doesn't want to see the church built. Why would he? That's why he's here to tear it down. So in 417, and those who were rebuilding the wall and those who carried burdens, here's what they did. They took their load with one hand doing the work and in the other they were holding a weapon. And as for the builders, each wore his sword girded at his side as he built. And while the trumpeter stood near me and I said to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive and we are separated on the wall from one another. At whatever place you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. And see, that's the part of coming together. You hear the trumpeter. You hear someone say, I have trouble. I, I need help. Doo, 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 doo. And the, they would rally. I don't have any music teachers left. Okay. They would rally. And they would come to their aid. Yes, I do. I have, I have too many there. Okay. They're, they're saying that was a B flat and not a C. I can tell that. Okay. I digress. Um, so we get this picture of a community willing to help one another, willing to stand for one another, willing to carry that sword, the sword of the spirit, the shield of faith, to be girded because we do not war against flesh and blood. Because we war against spirituality we, in high places. And we must also be able to ready to work and to carry a sword with us at all times. And when our brothers say, I need help, we rally to them. So, from Nehemiah, we see that they had a mind to work. They said, we'll do this. 
The enemy conspired against them. Families armed themselves, and they decided they were willing to fight. They built, they carried the burdens, they rallied to the trumpeter, and they remained clothed and armed. It's a picture for us to say this is, this is a horizontal building of today's church. A group of people willing to work together to encourage one another, to support one another, to admonish one another, to help one another. And so, the wall was completed in the 25th month of Elu in 52 days. Wow. And it came about when our enemies heard of it and all the nations surrounding us saw it, they lost their confidence for they recognized that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. God is at work among us. God is developing us into a church of the 21st century where we have this vertical relationship and we have this horizontal relationship. Philippians reminds us of that. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So whether I come and see you or remain absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. In, new, in no way alarmed by those who would try to tear it down. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. You are a city set on a hill. And for a church to be a horizontal body of believers, we need to allow that light to shine. We need to be carriers of that light. Romans 14, 19. So then, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. I love that word pursue. It's not as if we are in an apathetic world. It is in a world in which we need to go after it. We need to pursue it. This is what God is wanting to build in this day and age. A horizontal relationship that's based on a vertical relationship. Amen. Amen. We are going to have time today to take communion.